This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for the statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the 2019 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 14 years. Today's episode brings you machine learning and AI in government. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss next generation federal networks in government. With me on today's show are Rocky Campioni, with the, the Chief Information Officer with Department of Energy. Bob Costello, Executive Director, Enterprise Networks and Technology, U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Jim Tannehill, Director, National Security, Verizon Business Group. Brian Moore, Division Chief, U.S. Department of State. Brian Wright, Director of Systems Engineering, Federal Ruckus Networks. Sanjay Gupta, Chief Technology Officer at SBA. And Don Parente, with the, the Assistant Vice President of Engineering and Architecture with AT&T. Uh, well, this is a, a hot topic, a very important topic. Uh, the White House just issued a memorandum being dubbed uh, TIC 3.0. I think maybe a couple of you on the, uh, on the panel here may have been very involved with the, uh, the issuance of that. Uh, a lot to talk about today. I'm going to jump right into it. Rocky, uh, you've been over there at Energy for a couple of months now. Energy is a big place, a lot going on, supercomputing, et cetera. Give us a state of the state on what you're seeing over there in the first couple of months. Well, it's uh, first I'd say it's great to be back at the Department of Energy. It's a great place, great mission, great people doing fantastic things. Um, one of the things that, you know, as I've come in, I'm starting to learn where are we, um, kind of what's the current state, what are our future plans. Um, so I look across and we have, you know, TIC 3.0, we're really excited about this. We've got some great pilots that we're starting about how do we um, better, uh, how do we allow our mission folks to get, uh, to better access the network? Um, we also have ESNet, which is the scientific network and kind of the backbone for what we do in the research field. Uh, you know, it's 400 gigabit network, or going to 400 gigabits, we've got a 100 gigabit backbone, it goes all over the world. Uh, it's how we feed the large data from like the Large Hadron Collider in <coughs> so that we can do the, uh, enter the uh, scientific research. Um, and we also have 5G, like well, how are we going to handle 5G, how are we going to adopt it? But we have a unique mission at the Department of Energy of not just being a consumer of 5G, but also how do we promote the adoption and help uh, give the United States a strategic advantage with 5G. So when we talk network, you know, it's kind of a wide swath. We've got everything from the traditional, how do you make sure someone in, a fee in the office gets internet? to how does someone in the field do their job better uh, to carry out the mission, to how do we help promote science across the world and make the United States a leader in the, uh, in the world for scientific research. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about artificial intelligence, the big push that we have at the Department of Energy, um, and how do we make sure that our, our networks uh, allow for uh, our researchers to access um, big data to do research on on AI and how do we incorporate AI into our networks? And that's something we're still looking at. Sure, artificial intelligence, internet of things, uh, et cetera. Every single subject, big data that we have on this show, completely reliant on a reliable, high-speed, integrated network. And I know uh, Bob over there at CBP, you've got uh, 
quite a, uh, a, a complex environment with uh, the trading community and the traveling public and uh, a, a very large footprint domestically and internationally. So uh, give us a little state of the state as to how we're doing on networks over at CBP. Well, uh, Luke, thanks for having me today. And, and over the last year since we, since we last spoke on, on this show, I think we've made a lot of improvements. And we've had a, I think some of the, the biggest changes that we've experienced at, at, at CBP is a, uh, a retraining and a retooling on, on some of our, our, our people. So we're hiring a lot of software engineers into to my organization now because everything's moving to a software-defined environment. Uh, we've had a wide-scale uh, re-engineering of our network on the southern border uh, that, that needed to happen, and, and we were um, kind of challenged earlier this year with some of our bandwidth down on the southern border, and we've rolled out to, to several hundred sites, uh, large-scale uh, bandwidth upgrades. For, uh, we do operate at over 1,700 locations worldwide, so we're starting to roll out uh, some, some new and innovative technologies to improve the security posture overseas uh, and enable our officers or agents that are stationed overseas to directly access our resources. Uh, we've been working extremely hard to expand our uh, connectivity to different cloud providers and to kind of ease that, that, those connection models so that our program officers who do the development of software don't have to uh, be constrained by the network. Sure. So, so we're doing things so that they can actually see what the connections look like, uh, how much they're consuming on bandwidth, and, and then interface directly with us. Um, one of my biggest challenges has been I, I oversee not, not just the networks, but the land mobile radio and our HF networks. Uh, so incorporating those technologies uh, with our mobility platform that we oversee as well. So we've actually uh, expanded our mobility uh, user group from uh, you know, about uh, probably about 10,000 users from last year to up over 22,000 people. Uh, and we're moving very rapidly to pretty much get a phone on every officer or agent's belt, and that changes the environment. Uh, one of my big challenges that I think that we're going to see uh, coming up is, is IoT. Uh, I work very closely and oversee portions of the program for non-intrusive inspection. So a lot of those things that were always never connected to the network, like an x-ray machine, some of our older camera systems, uh, radiation detection equipment. Now those, those devices or systems are coming and able to connect either to a network or, or be IoT-like. So we're, we're really challenged right now in, in finding ways to securely get the, the telemetry from those systems and maybe not connect them to our primary network, but, but use some you know, IoT gateways or other technologies to feed that data back to our system. Yeah, and I mean, that just the convergence of all this technology together and, uh, you know, where, where any kind of device now is dependent, you know, is very much requiring, uh, you know, high-speed type of network exactly. to, to function properly. Jim, you guys are right in the middle of that over at Verizon, and I know you're seeing a lot of activity out there across the community. Uh, just, just give us a, a top-line state-of-state. What are you seeing out there? And, and yeah. Horizon land, so to speak. Well, I think the, the key is how do we enable mobility, right? As, as far as next gen with 5G is a big bet that Verizon's placing. And what is that going to enable as far as IoT or as across the allowing autonomous cars and uh, robotics? The, the amount of money and effort that it takes to deploy 5G and to get the labs up and running is... Uh, is a challenge. It's we have beginning to roll it out. We'll have 30 cities rolled out of limited capability of 5G this year, and it's 
You know, 5G is going to enable, we call it the fourth industrial revolution, where it'll bring in a lot of changes to the citizens, to industry, to government, that things that we haven't even thought of yet. I mean, one of the things that we talked about earlier this year is how do you do uh, you know, robotic surgery? How do you do different things? And all that requires incredibly low latency, huge amounts of bandwidth, and you know, there's like, it's just, it's a, it's a very interesting time, very exciting time to be in industry. Yeah, I was reading an article the other day, and they said there's certain technologies that once they're introduced, uh, there's things that get discovered, enabled, and done that you hadn't even thought about because you have the power of this capability, and 5G was one of those that they pointed out. Brian, talk about a footprint, and talk about a big footprint, a global footprint. You guys are right smack in the middle of that over there at State. So give us a uh, state of the state of State uh, as to how we're doing on uh, from a network perspective. I know you, uh, CBP, if I recall, teams up with State in, in, to making sure that they're getting into all those embassies worldwide. So there's a Yes, you had another example, some collaboration that's going on. Sure, yeah. I mean, we partner with a number of, of agencies to help provide services and facilitate different types of connectivity. Um, as you said, it is kind of a unique mission with the footprint that we have um, and, the, and the challenges that come with that. Um, about 10 years ago, we really embarked on taking a hard look at the way the applications um, and application developers were evolving um, and undertook kind of a whole holistic look at the network. Um, what it forced us to do was to really look at re-architecting the topology. We were a traditional hub-and-spoke type architecture, and that just didn't fit any longer as application owners were more regionalizing applications. Um, so we had pivoted to more of a, a regionalized type of approach, still kind of a statically configured environment, but uh, more of a regionalized approach. Um, more recently, we've looked at that, and with the um, expansion of off-prem assets with the cloud and the multi-cloud ecosystem that we're, we're developing, as well as multi-agency collaboration and connectivity, um, it really caused us to kind of rethink the whole static um, uh, regionalized approach that that in itself wasn't working well. So we then now evolved into more of what the, we call a dynamic environment. So it's more of a policy-based, any-to-any type connectivity where um, your um, post, your workstation can find the best route to get to the asset, whether it be cloud, whether it be on-prem. So if it's located in a uh, regionalized data center, if it's located in CONUS, if it's out in the cloud, it gives you the most expedient uh, route to get there. So that gives us the flexibility now to be able to meet these, these emerging requirements. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you, you're wrestling with all of these various uh, telecom companies in, in all these countries across the globe, right, and having to do all this hand-to-hand -hand combat, if you will, with, uh, with uh, these various regions. And all of a sudden, here comes the cloud. I, I know you guys, I think, probably an early adopter of that because it probably solved a lot of the problems that you were having out there from a, a global standpoint. Brian, how about at Ruckus Networks? You guys are right smack in the middle of this, enabling all of this revolution to happen. Uh, give us the state of the state. So it's interesting, it's a reoccurring theme, I think, in the, the next two speakers, I think, will echo some of the things that have been said before. Um, you know, networking is changing at a rapid pace. Uh, 5G is going to be a, a, a term that you're going to hear over and over and over. It, it's coming. It's, it's, it's rapidly approaching. You know, there are things that, uh, that, the, the, that are changing within the mobility spectrum, not just from, from a LTE perspective with, with 5G, but also in the local area and, in some cases, the metropolitan area network with things like Wi-Fi 6. You know, it's the next generation of 802.11, right? So 
you've got 5G coming, you've got uh, Wi-Fi 6 that's coming, you've got unlicensed spectrum use cases with uh, things like CBRS that are, that are used to provide mobile connectivity to our users and employees to allow them to better fulfill their mission, their, their mission statements. Sure, and, and just almost uh, uh, leapfrog over some of this, uh, this uh, you know, sort of legacy technology and legacy networks that we're talking about. Sanjay, I talked at the beginning of the show about TIC 3.0, and, and uh, what I'm excited about there is just the ability for agencies to sort of open up the aperture and look at different ways to implement the, uh, you know, uh, adhering to the policy, but implement things in a different kind of way, take care, you know, take advantage of some of this technology that's available. And I know SBA has been right in the front of that. So why don't you give us a, a little bit of an update as to how things are going over there at SBA? Sure. Thank you. Yes. Uh, so we were one of the agencies at the SBA, which embarked on the 90-day modernization pilot for the tech uh, last year. So we were quite eagerly waiting for the 3.0 policy to come out. Sure. And I think one of the things we were able to do was inform how we could use some cloud-based tools to meet the objectives and the goals and the intent of the tech uh, uh, goals and, and be able to still meet the intent without really implementing the architecture. But let me kind of talk a little bit from a, a network standpoint because sure. network is really key to everything we do. And so one of the things we are looking at right now is if you think about you know, cloud service providers, the CSPs, uh, each of them have multiple regions throughout the country. And each of them obviously have a high-speed connectivity between region to region. So what we are looking at and exploring right now is how we could leverage the existing connectivity these CSPs have. Mm. And some of these CSPs actually are providing a way to access them. So for instance, you get from your local office to the nearest region using some ISP. And from there, you could ride their backbone, which is a very high-speed connectivity, right? right? It changes the whole paradigm of the network connectivity model, right? And it sort of leapfrogs us from where we have traditionally been in like an MPLS network standpoint. They already have those networks. They're high speed, high bandwidth, high performance. And if they give you a solution which is secure and allows them to access that, that is quite revolutionary from our standpoint. So in addition, just from a security standpoint, obviously we are doing the SD-WAN uh, implementations as well, but we are also looking at zero trust networks because you have to make sure your foundation is secure, it's reliable, it's high performing. Because increasingly the load on the network is going to be increasing as we go through more SaaS services or PaaS services where you are relying on the network to connect to your cloud sources. So that's the state of the affairs from our standpoint. Sure, and the network just it needs to be like electricity, right? You just need to turn it on and it needs to, to be there. And I would imagine that whole regional concept you're talking about there is certainly ports its way over globally, right? Um, uh, Don, how about at AT&T? You all are right smack in the middle of this revolution, if you will. Yeah. Um, uh, give us a, a state of uh, where AT&T is as far as, uh, you know, enabling these capabilities. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's really, uh, really fascinating. We you know, talk a lot about modernization, you know, with the government, IT modernization. Um, and, you know, th there's always that adage of building the aircraft in flight, but the reality of it is, you know, government doesn't shut down for remodeling, all right? Um, and we're not building the airplane in flight. We're, we, you know, we're taking off with a propeller plane. By the time we land, it's going to have a jet engine on it. And that's really challenging, right? Sure. Um, so when we look at what's going on with network, um, all the things that, that everyone has uh, stated so far is true. 5G is going to be a, a big deal. Software-defined networks is going to be a big deal. You know, networks that are programmable. But right now, today, um, and you heard you know, Bob mention it, bandwidth is an issue, right? 
um, and, and keeping up with those demands. I, I think the growth in bandwidth uh, that we've seen in the last decade has, has been like nothing we've ever seen before. Uh, I always say that, you know, when the day my, my mother, who's in her 70s, called me and said, I need more bandwidth, wow. um, <laughs> I, I knew the world, I knew the world was fundamentally changing. Um, Grandma's so, calling next, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, FaceTime wasn't yes, working right. right. You know, so, so, um, so, so uh, some of the things that we've seen, um, and I, I think are exciting and are, are sort of the building blocks for, for getting that network to being that high bandwidth, high performing, secure network, are, are the big upgrades from TDM to IP, right? Sure. Going from those old T1-based uh, networks to, to Ethernet and, I, and natively IP-based networks. So, so big changes there, but really setting the foundation for what I think is going to be major transformation over the next 10 to 15 years. And fortunately, you know, we have a vehicle out there called EIS that I think is going to enable uh, agencies to do that. Right, you know, and I'll just, just having that connectivity and that bandwidth in these uh, very disparate types of environments that are very rural and very important. I know CBP has a lot of that. And, and certainly state has a lot of that. Uh, Brian at state, let's uh, swing over to you. Tell us about a specific program that you'd like to highlight uh, that uh, may be of interest to the listening audience or something that you guys have rolled out there and perhaps you're proud of and uh, you know, uh, is really enabling state to do its mission. Right, so I mean, as you said, the, the, the network's kind of a utility, right? So it is the foundational enabler for all the applications, and so all applications benefit from the, the changes we've made and we continue to make um, on the network. Um, as we increase bandwidth and we lower latency, um, as we move to this more dynamic routed environment and look at ways to uh, optimize the connections to the off-prem off type assets, um, some of the things that we've seen um, with the changes that we've made moving from the regionalized architecture to more of the dynamically routed architecture, uh, real-time video and collaboration uh, performance has, has uh, gone up quite, uh, quite drastically. Um, that's partly a factor of decreasing the latency and increasing bandwidth, but also because of the optimized routing. And real-world type applications, when you're dealing with real-time video at state, you're dealing with real security situations like the security video coming back live from the embassies. Right. So this is not just talking heads and, and video conferencing, which is you know, very important, sure. but it's real, in some cases, life or limb, or at the very least, you know, law enforcement, uh, forensic type uh, data that, that's needed in real time. Yeah, and you, know, you talk about uh, real-time situational awareness type environments where the network needs to be there and it needs to have the capacity to transmit that. Well, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Solving federal networking challenges just got better. With Ruckus Networks, now part of Comscope, we understand federal networks demand agility, reliability, and security to protect and serve our citizens. The better solution is here. With over 20 years' experience supporting mission-critical requirements with trusted switching technology and now outstanding wireless offerings, Ruckus Networking Solutions deliver superior network performance in any environment. Visit ruckusnetworks.com fedradio to learn how our innovations help you achieve your mission. Purpose-built and hardware-defined networks can no longer keep up with the needs of a digital government. The network today is dramatically different. The explosion of data is unprecedented, and the cyber landscape is rapidly changing. When it comes to transformation, AT&T public sector is leading the way. With as-a-service models, agencies can access state-of-the-art networks today and prepare for tomorrow. We all agree the time for modernization is now. To learn more and continue the conversation, follow AT&T public sector on LinkedIn. 
Advancements in technologies present federal agencies with both opportunities and challenges. At Verizon, we embrace those challenges. Verizon invests billions in our global networks every year to deliver secure data reliably. Our advanced communication solutions and modern call centers connect your workforce and citizens in the office, in the field, and internationally. We are committed to modernization that delivers better mission results faster. Verizon, we don't wait for the future, we build it. VerizonEnterprise.com slash Federal IT. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. With me on today's show are Rocky Campione with Department of Energy, Bob Costello with U.S. Customs and Border Protection, Jim Tannehill with Verizon, Brian Moore with Department of State, Brian Wright with Ruckus Networks, Sanjay Gupta with SBA and Don Parente with AT&T. We're talking about next generation federal networks. We were talking about specific programs. I'm gonna throw it over to you, Jim, and uh, tell us about a specific program that Verizon's working on that uh, would be of interest to our listening audience, perhaps. Well, we've talked an awful lot about 5G as a next generation enabling technology. And we've created uh, several labs around the world uh, one of them here in D.C. where people can come in and, and play with different applications. Another one is in Rocky's world out at PNNL where we're establishing a, a 5G lab to look at the different technologies and the different players that you can bring in. Uh, one of the things that we've seen already is uh, in the first responder world that, you know, the, in, the artificial intelligence, the virtual reality, the augmented reality capabilities that 5G enables allows a firefighter to go to, into a and completely smoke-filled arena and still have visibility using different capabilities. So those are the kind of things that we're seeing right now. And the lab environment where you can get all these people together and, and try new technology seems to be uh, a good building block approach. Yeah, again, I was talking about that article where the, you know, this is such a powerful capability that people uh, are just trying to get their heads around, you know, how to even enable uh, you know, some of these capabilities that they hadn't even thought about now that they have this type of uh, functionality available to them. Sanjay, how about at SBA? You guys are doing some really cool stuff over there. Why don't you give us a, an example of one specific area uh, that you've sort of, you know, quite frankly, brought the entire community forward with some of the things you guys are doing at SBA. Yeah, great. Thank you. Uh, I'll give you probably more than one example real quick. So one of the things that we have implemented or rather in the process of implementation is uh, always on virtual VPN. So that allows you to be connected onto VPN if you're not in the SBA network. So obviously that's a productivity improvement from a user standpoint within the SPA network. But I'll give you a more important example in terms of converged networks where we're converging voice and data networks and we're talking about things like virtual counseling. So small businesses, entrepreneurs visit a SPA office trying to get to understand what's the process of getting certifications or loan assistance. Mm. And so what we're trying to implement right now is a program where individuals should not have to actually make what we call as windshield time driving to an office, but be able to do virtual counseling using technologies that allow you to sort of see the people and as well converse with the people uh, using those standard solutions that are available in the marketplace. And that's where the voice and uh, data conversion networks are helping. So we're looking at from a citizen standing uh, facing standpoint so that they can uh, easily converse with SBA, interact with SBA using things like uh, virtual counseling. Yeah, it's almost uh, SBA's version of telemedicine, if you will, right? There you where go. You're, can, you can do these things remotely and uh, and have the same functionality, have that same experience. Uh, Don, how about at AT&T? Why don't you give us an example of something specific, a program that you all are working on? I know there's a whole bunch of them, 
that uh, you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, so a couple of things going on. Uh, first and foremost is around the area of software defined networks. I mean, this is a journey that um, in many respects we uh, kicked off now six years ago. I think we kicked the industry off, uh, quite frankly. And um, we're on this uh, pace of having the network 75% virtualized by the um, by 2020, actually. So we're doing great stuff there. And, and so much of the work that, that we've done in terms of research and development has now found its way into you know, the open source community to become mm. available to others to use. Uh, in particular, a program uh, called ONAP, uh, which is the Open Network Automation uh, Platform, which is it's open source. We, we developed that code um, to, to build out our software-defined network. Um, and, and rolled it out in the uh, open source community so to kind of move the entire industry forward. Uh, the other is, is in the area of, of FirstNet, uh, speaking of first responders. I, I think you know, uh, everyone's aware of FirstNet, but some of the, some of the uh, critical mission elements of FirstNet is getting coverage um, to the scene when it's needed. Uh, often when you have a, a, a tragedy, a disaster, the infrastructure goes down and, and we're really redefining what deployables look like in the world of FirstNet, bringing out drones to, to provide cell service and that sort of thing. So a lot of exciting stuff going on. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when you digitize this environment and then take it to the next level and, uh, you know, sort of infrastructure as code, if you will, all of a sudden you can deploy these capabilities. That's just unbelievable, some of the things that you can do there. Uh, Rocky, how about at Energy? Why don't you give us an example of... Uh, some of the uh, you know supercomputing that's going on over there. God, gosh, knows what kind of capabilities you guys are up to yeah. these days. So, well, um, I'll talk a little bit about supercomputing um, and how we're using the world's fastest computers and some of the world's biggest minds to uh, help solve kind of veterans' issues and help. Did you guys issues. go quantum on us? <laughs> uh, some of our some of our organizations uh, do a lot within quantum. Yeah, sure. Um, at the CIO's office itself. I'm probably not there yet, but of when course. you got to our labs, um, they're doing a, a lot of great stuff in quantum. Right. I, I'm actually blessed with those great minds doing the R&D of, uh, so having an understanding of what I might see on our network 10 years from now, we're developing international labs. Um, we talk about uh, 5G, we're working with multiple vendors across the complex, uh, building out a 5G test bed. Um, you know, Idaho National Labs, a major player within that. PNNL is a major player in that. It was actually the first lab I visited was PNNL, and it was one of the first things they showed me is their 5G testbed, or the 5G lab. Um, so it's interesting because I have that research arm that looks at the future, and then I, I have the, uh, the blessings of figuring out how do I take that research and implementing it within our day-to-day -day productivity network. Um, and that's uh, it's a fun problem to have. Um, it's uh, always fun when our consumers of our services are actually developing the services of the future and think, why can't you? And, uh, but, but that's one of the areas that, that uh, uh, it's fun to be at DOE about. But you know, another area is TIC 3.0. We're starting our pilot in uh, Q1 of, of the next fiscal year for our productivity suite, like the software as a service. How do we uh, enable our end users anywhere they are within the country, within our complex, to rapidly get to kind of their email and collaboration suite? It's built off of uh, the tick overlay uh, pilot that was occurred mm -hmm. last year. Right. I think we saw a 60% uh, increase in kind of the speed and uh, the ability to access the network 
um, within that because our folks didn't have to come all the way back to DC. Right. You know, it's kind of that network hop. How do we get directly out there? But that's one of the uh, the big exciting things we're doing within our shop within the complex. I think I could be here about five hours. Sure. I mean, energy really does have that dual sort of role of you know petri dish lab, you know, yeah. creation and development of this capability, and then of course as a traditional CIO, you've got to roll these capabilities out and expand things like tick overlay, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> Bob, how about at, uh, at CBP? Uh, give us an example of a program there, uh, state of the state, in regards to uh, something that you've rolled out that you want us to be aware of. I, I think one of the most important things that we've rolled out ha has focused on our ability to be resilient at the network level. Uh, and I'm kind of calling it like SDN 0.1 that we've mm -hmm. rolled out. So, so we kind of now have the ability, because as you can imagine, many of our Locations. It's it's a law enforcement mission. We have uh, you know almost forty five thousand sworn law enforcement officers that are inspecting, you know people, cargo. Uh, you know we go down an airport, could shut down. Sure. Uh, you know people don't get processed correctly. The trade community stops. So many of our our sites now uh, operate. You know maybe primarily over a very high speed internet connection. If that goes down, we fail to MPLS. If that go down, if that goes down, in many sites we fail over to a four G connection, mm. and and can maintain operations so that we don't fail over. And this happens seamlessly. The officers don't don't see anything. Our field operatives uh, that work for the CIO's office don't have to go out and you know flip cables or anything. Uh, and and that's been a game changer because I'm able to now uh, provide a better service to our operators. And that's the most important thing for us. Yeah, better um, service to the citizens, right? Exactly, absolutely. So it's been a it's been a huge game changer. I think the other area that that we've moved to a lot is is our ability uh, to provide a mobility platform that's easy to interface with. And now uh, many of our officers and agents have a device on their belt that they can authenticate back to. Our, our systems and actually perform many of the same functions that they were doing at a workstation. So in many cases, this has allowed our officers and agents to get out from behind that workstation and be interfacing directly with the people. Uh, you, you know, Coming off the aircraft, they can query travel documents, see what's going on right there. Uh, we can do things uh, at the cargo ports that we never could before. We're pushing out on something called remote operations which allows us to have an understanding of what's happening at the port and the cargo containers coming without an officer in every lane anymore with no decrease in security. But as these technologies roll out, the operators are able to redeploy their people to the law enforcement mission or the inspectional mission. And this helps the Office of Trade as well because if we provide better services to the trade community, then it, it just helps across the board. It helps everything from the economy to security. Uh, so I, those are the things that I'm really most proud of that we've done. Right, in the last getting year. that workforce out on the edge. I think 85% of your workforce is is mobile, and I think a lot of people don't understand CBP. They're right smack in the middle of the economy of the United States of America. Right, so you want a primary, a secondary, a tertiary environment there. Uh, Brian at uh, Ruckus, how about uh, uh, give us an example of uh, something that you guys are doing over there, a program that you guys are running that you'd like to highlight that's sort of right in the mix of this capability here. You so, brought up a couple of fascinating things earlier. Yeah, so, it, it, you know, it's interesting. Uh, one big thing is secure access, right? So, and, and that applies to any, any government organization, any private industry, secure access. You know, there, there's currently over 8 billion 
IoT devices connected to the internet today. IoT analytics is saying that number will rise to 22 to 23 billion by the year 2025. Those, in many cases, as Bob pointed out, are headless devices. They're sensors, they're cameras, they're devices that have no means of, of configuration on the device itself. The best you can do is push a certificate to the device. You've got to be able to securely onboard those onto your network. You've got to be able to secure their access to the network, but you've also got to be able to provide the backbone that provides the throughput and the necessary capacity for those devices, whether they be HD cameras, uh, radiation sensors, uh, personnel monitors. Um, you know, uh, uh, we've got a massive border, uh, uh, you know, in the Southwest that we've got to man manage and maintain. Bob's team's full of officers that are doing that. In some cases, there's, there's sensors that are, that are replicating and taking the place of some of those officers because we just don't have enough bodies to cover the space. And so in order to bring those devices onto a network in a secure means, you've got to be able to provide a, a means to onboard them in a quick manner so that they can be installed when needed. And in some cases on the fly, you've got to be able to provide the backbone. 5G is a great technology for that. 5G is, a, is, is going to provide the bandwidth capacity and security that we're looking for in situations like this. One thing that we're noticing with 5G is the footprint shrinks a bit, right? It's not, you're not getting the same coverage that you get with 4G. So mm -hmm. how do you offset some of that? Wi-Fi 6 is a, is a possible uh, alternative. Um, I mentioned CBRS earlier, private LTE networks, uh, you know, non-licensed spectrum that's, that's available and in use today. Yeah, um, and I think about things like uh, body-worn cameras, you know, and it's just these officers and agents and employees just become their own IoT, you know, sort of configuration there. It's pretty incredible. Well, let's switch over to lessons learned. I, I know I love this question because it's really important that the listening audience hears about, you know, lessons learned, positive lessons learned, negative lessons learned. I'm going to start with you, Don, at AT&T. You, you all are out there uh, helping a lot of these agencies adopt a lot of these capabilities, early adopters out there using these different types of technologies. What's some lessons learned that you'd like to share? Well, I, mean, I think the most important lesson um, learned is don't go it alone. Right, so I mean, I have a team of engineers and architects that are available to sit down and, and, and work with agencies and you know, do anything from brainstorm the art of the possible to actually put pen to paper and design a network. So you know, we, uh, as an industry, right, um, even AT&T doesn't go it alone, right? We're part of standards groups, we're, sure. we're part of uh, communities like uh, Metro Ethernet Forum and 3GPP. So uh, as an industry, we don't go it alone, and I, I think it's really critical that, that government uh, not go it alone and, and leverage uh, partners like AT&T to you know, you know, let us help you find the, the latest and greatest technology, let us help you figure out the best way to apply it. Because as you mentioned earlier, there's just so much going on in every single thing you wanna do from a mission effectiveness and mission support point of view depends on the network. And, and it's really critical that the network is sized in a way uh, that's going to support those applications and it's, it has the right level of availability, reliability, and security. Sure, and uh, don't go it alone with your vendor partners and don't go it along with your, uh, your other agencies. Yeah. Brian uh, at State, uh, why don't you uh, give us an example of some lessons learned if you guys have rolled out some of these capabilities, what you've discovered there. Well, first, I don't think there's ever enough bandwidth. Um, it's always sure, going to yeah. be a... Um, <laughs> they always want more. No bandwidth amount Even is mom and too grandma much. grandma want more. Uh, and also, no amount of uh, low latency is, is good enough as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it's always going to be a constant strive to, to increase the bandwidth and lower the latency, uh, especially as these more real-time applications pivot to the cloud. Um, that becomes more and more important. Um, one of the key 
things that uh, we learned is really you have to understand your traffic flows. Um, you know, we have general design principles and architecture principles of how we design the network, but you truly have to understand with your individual mission what those traffic flows look like and, and understand your data. Where is your data coming from? Where does it go? The whole life cycle of your data. Um, because in order to make the network that utility, it's got to support that, and the only way it can do that is with truly understanding those flows. Right, and really getting good instrumentation in there, I think, is super important. Jim, how about at Verizon? You all are uh, helping a lot of these agencies uh, roll out these capabilities. Um, been doing it for a long time. There's a lot of early adoption stuff out there. Give us some lessons learned that agencies and the listening audience ought to be thinking about and considering. Well, as, as we've been, uh, gone down the path to do a lot of virtualization and, and SDX, software-defined network, software-defined perimeter, we've taken a lot of automation in the network and kind of reduced the, uh, the number of people. So we have less people doing tests that used to be done by more. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we've learned in the, uh, in, we have a, a program in November called Operation Convergent Response, where we sponsor a bunch of first responders to come in in different situations. It could be a subway disaster, it could be a flood, and how do you use all these technologies together in a secure bubble that allows uh, the first responders from various different organizations to share information and get better situational awareness. So Yeah, and really start to focus on um, um, you know, the state of the state of the network in all kinds of different dynamic environments. Sanjay, how about at SBA? You guys are uh, early adopting a lot of different types yeah. of capabilities. I'm sure you have some lessons learned that you'd like to communicate with the, uh, the, your uh, fellow agencies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'll list out two specifically here. There's probably many more. Uh, first and foremost, like we talked about, connectivity is critical to everything we do, especially if you are moving to the cloud. Connectivity, high-speed connectivity, high-bandwidth connectivity, is really crucial for making sure you're able to use your cloud uh, service provider's resources. So one of the things we learned was it took relatively a longer time to establish the, the peerings with the CSPs and establish the connectivity. Mm. So if you are looking to go to the cloud, I would suggest plan for a little longer time. Um, one of the things we found out was, like Dan, Don was saying earlier, that you have to partner with your uh, network providers or your CSPs, obviously, one of the things we are recognizing is that the number of people who are skilled in doing the peering configurations at all, if you will, touch points are rel relatively small number of people. So coordinating, if you will, a call, just an example, between a network service provider and your CSP and your Ooh. internal team becomes a challenging act itself because there are not many people who understand how to do the configuration and the peerings. That's that would be number one, really, to, to uh, be keeping in mind in terms of a lesson. The second lesson learned, I would say, is that keeping in touch with the changes in the technology. Because we are moving really so rapidly, and the network service providers and the CSPs come up with new solutions. So that would be the second thing I'd yeah, say. Yeah, and just that reskilling and making sure that people are staying up, something that Rob, uh, Bob pointed out uh, just a little while ago. We're going to take another short break. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Advancements in technologies present federal agencies with both opportunities and challenges. At Verizon, we embrace those challenges. Verizon invests billions in our global networks every year to deliver secure data reliably. Our advanced communication solutions and modern call centers connect your workforce and citizens in the office, in the field, and internationally. We're committed to modernization that delivers better mission results faster. Verizon, we don't wait for the future, we build it. Verizon Enterprise.com slash federal IT.
Purpose-built and hardware-defined networks can no longer keep up with the needs of a digital government. The network today is dramatically different. The explosion of data is unprecedented, and the cyber landscape is rapidly changing. When it comes to transformation, AT&T Public Sector is leading the way. With as-a-service models, agencies can access state-of-the-art networks today and prepare for tomorrow. We all agree the time for modernization is now. To learn more and continue the conversation, follow AT&T Public Sector on LinkedIn. Solving federal networking challenges just got better. With Ruckus Networks, now part of Comscope, we understand federal networks demand agility, reliability, and security to protect and serve our citizens. The better solution is here. With over 20 years' experience supporting mission-critical requirements with trusted switching technology and now outstanding wireless offerings, Ruckus Networking Solutions deliver superior network performance in any environment. Visit ruckusnetworks.com slash fedradio to learn how our innovations help you achieve your mission. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. With me on today's show are Rocky Campioni with Department of Energy, Bob Costello with U.S. Customs and Border Protection, Jim Tannehill with Verizon, Brian Moore, Department of State, Brian Wright with Ruckus Networks, Sanjay Gupta with SBA, and Don Parente with AT&T. We were talking about lessons learned and Bob, uh, I'm going to throw it over to you at CBP. I know you guys probably have a whole bunch of lessons learned there, but maybe you can share one or two uh, with the listening audience, plus or minus. Sure, sure, Luke. I, I appreciate that. I think one of the biggest lessons learned, uh, you know, I've been in my role currently uh, with CBP in, in this particular role for about two years is uh, as technologists, we love the latest and greatest technology. My job is to deploy technology that works for the operators and works for the mission. Sometimes that's not the latest and greatest. Mm -hmm. so, so to us, 4G is going to be with us a long time. We're super excited about 5G and the capabilities that it's, it, it's going to deliver. Many of my locations don't have 4G today, so it's unlikely that they'll have 5G uh, you know, in, in the near term. So one of the lessons that we've learned is understanding the requirements of the people that we support and making sure that we're embedded with them, uh, that, that my teams, um, you know, I've changed the organization I run and my team is out there in the field all the time with Border Patrol or the Office of Field Operations or, or, or our, our other mission partners. So what we're deploying now is technologies that are highly resilient, that are, are well-tested, and, and that fulfill the mission. So we, we've gotten a better understanding of what our operators need from connectivity and, and networks, and we're delivering on those solutions. So we're innovating at the same time and, and, and deploying uh, you know, some elements of SDN. We're deploying mobility solutions. Uh, one of the most exciting things that, that I'm, I'm really thrilled with right now is we're deploying a, a, a platform from one of our vendors that allows us to completely model and understand and enact changes on our network offline mm. and see how that's going to affect things. And then we can go into our change windows with an extremely high level of confidence that, that our change is going to work Be because I can no longer afford to build a lab that, that simulates a network as large as ours. You know, I, it, we're, we're probably in the sure. industry would be considered a medium-sized network, you know, about 11,000 routers and switches, but it's, it's quite large, uh, you, you know, for us. And, and I can't simulate that entire environment with all our external connections, which number in the thousands for the trade community and 
um, how we reach the internet and our mission partners in DHS and external. We do a lot of work with PNNL. Uh, and, and now, exactly. And, and now I can actually uh, have an exact replica of my, my network offline and train, train my, my staff on it, simulate train changes. And we're ensuring a much higher level of reliability to our customers. And integrity and not using integrity. the operational network as your lab, right? Exactly. We've all been through that before. Brian, how about at Ruckus Networks? Can you give us an example of a lessons learned there? Yeah, so tighten up your track shoes, get ready to run. Yeah. Uh, 5G's coming, Wi-Fi 6 is here, CBRS is available today. These are technologies that are gonna enable the advancement and the speed with, obviously with some, some caveats, there's some locations that this is not gonna play well in, but then others, these are the technologies that are coming. Your users, your employees are getting this technology at home, they're gonna have it in their communities, they're gonna expect it in their workplaces. It's not a bad thing, it's going to make them more efficient, they're gonna be able to do more with less. Sure, Rocky, uh, I know you've only been over there a couple of months, but one lesson learned something that you're thinking about that you've observed. Well, one of the things is, um, you know, I'll kind of talk about what, what Bob was talking about. It's sometimes the latest and greatest isn't always what you need to deploy. Sure. Um, so sometimes it's take a breath. Uh, take a breath, uh, deploy what you have, finish your project out. Um, you don't always want to be on the bleeding edge on a production network. Um, so. Uh, that would be kind of the one lesson learned is let's stop, let's complete what we have going on today, um, let some, some of the newer technologies mature a little bit, make sure that we have a use case before we deploy it, right. and then deploy. Yeah, it's really important that you do both, right? You have to keep your eye on that new technology so you can incorporate it, um, but you got to make sure that your base is covered today, right? And your operation is, is running, your mission's being enabled. All right, well, we're going to start at the end there with you, Don. We like to talk about painting a picture of the future, you know, what does this look like in three years, four years, five years? What can the agencies expect as we roll out these different types of technology, uh, not in the Petri dish so much, but stuff that'll be operationalized at that point? Yeah, so I, I, think, we, I think we touched on this a lot, but I'll, I'll say it again, because it, it's gonna be a big part of it, and that, that is 5G. And, and one of the reasons uh, 5G is gonna make such a, a, a big impact is uh, it's really going to enable the proliferation of connected devices. We talk about IoT today. In five, the 5G world, we're talking massive IoT. And, and I know IoT, sort of generically, a lot of people hear the term. It's, it's sort of a buzzword. But at the end of the day, uh, IoT is about collecting data, a lot of data, and doing it in real time, and then taking you know, the um, intelligence on that data and saying, what do I do with it? How do I react to it? And, and so it's, it's really IoT that's going to enable all that, you know, um, very rapid decision making that has to be done uh, by the mission Right, itself. being able to collect it and move it at speed and do it reliably. Exactly. Sanjay, if I'm a small business owner and I'm uh, trying to uh, submit an application, what, what does that experience look like in three years, four years, five years? Uh, maybe I'll take a slightly different uh, spin on that, Luke, sure. is about networks. Uh, so if you think about the problem we were facing with compute infrastructure, say three, five years ago, long time to provision, get it set up, a fixed price cost model, I think you know where I'm going with. Yeah. The cloud service providers and the consumption-based cost model. 
Today, our networks are sort of in the old model, quite frankly. You know, it takes a long time to provision. It's a fixed cost model. Mm -hmm. So what I'm proposing is, or at least I'm hoping, one of our network service providers will soon come up with a network as a service. Are you challenging our uh, I am absolutely I challenging that. our network service providers to say, come up with network as a service, as yes. opposed to the fixed cost model. Mm -hmm. It's a consumption cost model. It's pay-as-you-go model. It's available when you want to use it, as opposed to the long time it takes to provision your networks. That's a fundamental change, a game changer, like the cloud did uh, in the computer side. So I'm hoping uh, one of the network service providers will provide that service offering very soon. I certainly don't want to and answer that. And that will revolutionize everything we do. <laughs> but I, I do, I, and that's a, a great case of, of something like 5G, where perhaps some of that te embedded technology yeah. inherently that's in there will allow those types of things to happen that people haven't even thought about. Brian, how about at Ruckus Networks? Uh, give us a picture of uh, what's it going to look like out there in three or four years. What are you all going to be rolling out? What do you think the... Uh, your customers are going to be asking for demanding at that point. So a lot of uh, you know a lot of what we're seeing today a robust secure mobile compute compute environment where users regardless of whether they're visitors to your facility or employees at your facility have have immediate access to the to the resources that they're authorized based on search certificates, you know, uh, passwords or whatever within their device itself. Access onto their network and the resources that they require immediately. Yeah, I, I think that um, you know the the uh, the ability to to connect real time, and and do it in a way that's intelligent, right, is going to be super important. People are just going to expect that, and I'm sure they're going to be embedding that into their applications and require that. Brian, how about at the State Department? If I'm a a freshly minted Foreign Service officer on my way overseas, you know, what can I expect? What does that experience look like? Two well, to three years from now. From the, from the network perspective, it's going to be a completely different landscape. Um, we're in the process right now in the conceptual phases of a complete re-architecture of the network to a zero-trust model. Um, that's going to be huge and change pretty much everything that we do. Um, under that zero-trust architecture model, we'll be implementing SDN, SD-WAN, uh, fully orchestrated, uh, which is a big change for us, uh, considering all the changes now are, are manual, which allows us to do a number of things, provision things faster, be able to respond to uh, when we have security incidents and have to make changes. Um, so pretty excited about that. Um, also, we'll be implementing micro-segmentation so that uh, mm -hmm. to, in order to reduce our threat surface, make sure that we can limit horizontal movement, um, which, which is going to be a big one. Um, from uh, the outside, uh, we're really interested in LEO, the, the low-Earth orbit uh, technology and satellite mm -hmm. that's going to allow us um, to be able to reach areas where we have uh, difficult or extremely expensive uh, satellite bandwidth uh, to get into now um, with much, much lower latency that's approaching terrestrial rates, which will give us functionality we've never been able to reach at certain places. So that's big excitement for us. Right, and the, the, the constellation of, of LEOs that they're putting out there is just incredible right now. That That's just being deployed. So. I would imagine someone like State Department would really take advantage of that Absolutely. type of capability as a map across the globe. Well, Jim, uh, Sanjay has laid the gauntlet down for you there. Uh, you know, tell us what it looks like out there. I know you've talked about 5G, and uh, you know, perhaps you can tell us when we would expect that. What does that look like in three to five years, whether it's 5G or any of the other capability that you all are rolling out and making available for the agencies to enable their missions? Yeah, so, so first of all, Sanjay, we'd be happy to talk to you about network as a service, so feel free. And, um, but where we see the, the industry going is a, a totally wireless edge. I mean, 
we see with 5G or even how you're going to use uh, uh, 4G in the future as we offload things, is there's going to be a lot more bandwidth. And what that does is it reduces the provisioning time dramatically. So we're, today, if I have to go install uh, you know, 2 gig or 5 gig capability to someone, I might have to procure things, I might have to dig up a street, I might have to, it, right. it's, you know, it could be 90 days or longer. On the back end, we're talking right? 90 minutes for provisioning, right, under 5G. So it's, that alone will be a dramatic shift in rapid deployment and then using capability. So we see the edge as being very wireless. And one of the things that makes that happen is uh, in mobile edge compute. You got to do your computing closer to the edge of the network. You do all the access into your cloud service provider. So these are the things that we see coming in the very near future. Yeah, and I would imagine that not only they, you have that sort of real-time provisioning, I think about, you know, if you think 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you know, just trying to get your phone number ported, right? <laughs> and now you just, you know, it's just, it's a no-brainer, right? Provisioning a phone now is much easier. And I think once you walk everything over into that wireless environment, you're going to be able to enable a lot of capability. Uh, Bob, how about at CBP? What, what, what does the future look like? If I'm a, an agent down there on the border or I'm in the, uh, the seaport or airport or, you know, up in a cargo facility, well, what does that experience look like as you all, you know, sort of repro your network mm -hmm. over the course of three to five years? Well, I, I think what, what it really means to me is, is a very uh, pervasiveness. Uh, and, and 5G is a big part of that. Wi-Fi 6 is, is a huge part of that. And what we really want is seamlessness. So that's where really the zero trust comes in. Uh, what I kind of equate that to when I'm explaining it to, to some people is it's identity-based. I need to be able to say who this person is accessing my network so that they get the right resources. So, so right now we're, we're at the stage where uh, it was something that, that Don was talking about too. It's all about telemetry, really. And as I start collecting more and more information from the network and the devices on that, IoT, people connecting to my network, devices connecting to my network, I, I, I almost envision in some ways is that they're really, the CBP network is going to so dramatically change so that people don't even know that they're connecting to the network. So that it's not this difficult thing. There's not this VPN where you're typing in a password or, or a PIV card. It's based on who you are and we're identifying you hopefully with biometrics, mm -hmm. to get access to the resources that you need. And where I really see that changing is this, this quick switch between different connectivity models so that the, the officers are not getting frustrated as they move from inside the facility to outside the facility. The, the, the device that they're on makes that quick switch, whether it goes to 5G, Wi-Fi 6, plugged into a workstation that's maybe still, or a docking station that's still on a, a cable. Uh, maybe it has a quick fail to 4G and, and areas that are still serviced by that. So where I really hope to get is, I, I kind of joke sometimes when I'm, I'm briefing people, uh, I want my network so good and so pervasive that you never have to know my name. That, that, the, that the deputy commissioner at CBPs just knows that things are gonna work wherever our people are stationed. And, and Brian brought, brought up some good things. I, I, I struggle providing good network connectivity overseas, and that's the most sure. critical place from maybe a, um, a you know, danger perspective. Uh, sometimes we have people operating in very dangerous locations, right. and I want them to have the same resources, the same access to our systems as if that officer was here 
you, you know, in CONUS. So I, I think that could be a really critical uh, change for us. Right, and, and also reliably, right? Reliable. Yeah, to yep. have that capability and ensure that it's there. They're, they're sort of on their own out there, right, in some cases. Uh, Rocky, how about over at Energy? Uh, what, what, do you, what, is that, what does that environment look like for you all in three to four years? Absolutely. I think Don um, hit on some key points uh, for the consumers. It's that from that IoT speed, the use of uh, the ability to make quick decisions. You know, we can't, again, you can't be at Department of Energy and not talk about artificial intelligence. It's, but there's two sides to it, right? Uh, not only what Don was talking about is, you know, we have using AI at the edge, um, kind of with when you talk about IoT and speed and making sure we have the bandwidth and, and the information. But a key component of what DOE is doing, um, and Sanjay, I'll use a term I think you've used before, is we produce AI. Um, we have the, the brain power to create the next algorithm, to the brain power and the, and the hardware on the supercomputers to really kind of push that forward. So I look at it as not only do I want to make sure that we can use AI at the edge, um, I want to make sure that I'm capturing that data so that our producers have good, rich um, information or good, rich data. It's labeled, it's structured, that they can produce the next great algorithm to really push AI forward. So it's interesting to me because, you know, yeah, we want to make sure it's out there and, we, and we're doing great things. I also want to make sure I'm capturing the exabytes and, you know, of, of data coming in so that we can kind of move forward as, an, uh, as a country with AI. Fantastic. Quick uh, turbo round here. I'm going to ask you, Sanjay, I'll ask a couple of the feds. Um, biggest barrier out there to enable this capability, this, this picture that you've painted. I think Number if, one. Uh, well, you know, the traditional three domains, people, process, technology, people, process tend to be the biggest challenges. Brian, technology is the easiest one. Got it. Brian State. Uh, funding. If I wouldn't be a government employee if I didn't bring that one up immediately. Um, funding, of course, is always going to be sure. a concern. Um, but also the fact that with zero trust, there's a lot of point solutions that are out there, but it's still kind of an evolving space and it's maturing. So getting the different vendors to play together into a, what's a holistic solution that really meets the needs of the department. Perfect. Bob, number one issue. Uh, number one issue, and uh, you know, may, per, perhaps uh, we don't always have enough funding to do what we do, but I think we have a, a very big enabler at CBP. From the commissioner on down, they support innovation and our commitment to, to, to utilizing IT to accomplish the mission. So I think when you have that from the highest levels, you can start breaking down a lot of the other barriers that might be presented. There you go. Rocky, since you've only been there a couple of months, we're going to give you a pass on that. <laughs> I had a good one, too. Well, please. Imagination. Imagination. Fantastic. Well, this has been a great show. And I'd like to thank all of our guests for the time that they've taken out of their busy schedules to join us today. I'd like to thank our sponsors for Without We Don't Have a Show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Radio that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience that tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the 2019 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 14 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.